Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When Moses left Egypt, he was very well educated in all the aspects of Egyptian society. The scriptures tell us that he was very well versed in all aspects of Egyptian culture. He knew everything about their philosophy and their religion. We could also anticipate that he was well educated and very capable when it came to engineering and mathematics and the sciences. That all the education that was available in Egypt was available to him. And when he left Egypt, he left with a great amount of knowledge. Now he built a new life for himself in the land of Midian. When he was there, he worked as a shepherd. And so considering everything that he knew and everything that he understood, and I'm sure that he would have been able to apply a lot of what he had learned, in the midst of all of that, he spent the next 40 years of his life working as a shepherd. That's what he chose to do. One day, when he was out in the wilderness, he observed a bush that was burning and would not go out. It was on fire, and the fire never went out. And when he went to go and investigate this bush, when he went to investigate, he discovered that it was the living God who had called him there to that place, to that bush, and now the living God is going to speak to him. When Moses heard from the Lord, the Lord told him that he wanted Moses to return to Egypt. Moses fled Egypt after he murdered somebody 40 years prior, and now he's going to return after 40 years, and the Lord wants him to go in order to go before Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let the Israelite people go, to tell Pharaoh to set the people free from slavery so that they could go into the promised land and start a new life there, start a new nation there, and be the people of God. Moses, of course, was not very excited about going at first, we have his concerns very well recorded in the book of Exodus. And one of the concerns that he had was that if he's going to go and talk to these people about their God who is going to set them free and bring them into the promised land, it would be very helpful to know who this God is. Who is this God? In Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, it says that Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? In other words, if Moses is going to go to the people, he's going to go to the children of Israel and inform them that their God is going to set them free, the question that he would like to be able to answer is, who is this God? Who is the God who is going to set them free? Now when Moses confronted the Lord with this question, how is he going to answer this question? I mean, in what way is he going to really describe who he is to Moses. This is not going to be an easy thing to do. First of all, there's a big difference between knowing about our God and knowing him in a very personal way, in a deep and personal way. There is a big difference between knowing him from an intellectual point of view, based on the information that we have at our disposal, that you can study it and memorize it, you can examine the different descriptions that we have that give us a description of his character, of his nature, of his behavior, 
There's a big difference between all of that and actually knowing him as an individual, as a person, as a friend. There is a difference between the two. And so how is our God going to answer this kind of a question? How is he going to express himself? Well, one of the ways that he could have done that was he could have said to Moses, Look, you know about all the gods of Egypt, right? You know about these. Well, let me tell you something. I'm like none of these. In fact, you can do a comparison between myself and all these other gods, and I can show you how I am not like any of them. That may be helpful to a certain extent, but there is a limitation there, and that is to say that he is not like someone else, or he is not like another type of God that people might believe in. That doesn't tell us what he is like, that just tells us what he's not like. Now, when Moses did eventually go down to Egypt, the Lord performed several miracles through Moses, and the plagues that were executed on the Egyptians were plagues that condemned the gods of Egypt. Each one of those plagues was associated with one or more gods of Egypt, and by God executing those plagues, he was effectively telling the Egyptians, he was showing the Egyptians, and in fact the entire world, that he was greater than all of the gods of Egypt. But again, even though he is greater than all of the gods of Egypt, even though he has authority over all of those gods, that still doesn't tell us a whole lot about who he is, what his name is, who he is to us, who he is to others. What does it really mean to be that God? And who is he as an individual, as a person who intervenes or participates in the lives of people here on earth. How is he really going to describe himself? Well, inherent within Moses' question was, what is your name? Can you give me a name that I can give them so we can at least have a name to identify you with? While we may not know a whole lot behind the meaning of that name in terms of how that name might relate to who you really are, can you at least give us a name that we can work with and so that we can say that this is a God who is a God that we have never known. Can you at least give us a name to work with? Now, names can mean a number of different things. During some segments of history, names actually meant something to the individual who was named that specific name. The names that people had were descriptions of their character, or they were descriptions of past events, or they were descriptions of their current occupation. This has not always been the case, but there have been segments of history where this was the case. And so that's one way to look at the name, is that the name is an opportunity for our God to describe himself. And so by using a name, perhaps we may know who he is a little bit more. And again, these names are normally chosen on the basis of what people have done or what they are currently doing. And so this can be considered to be an attempt to try and identify or define our God on the basis of what he has done or on the basis of what he is doing. For example, if you were to consider people who you know today, they may have a name, and yet this name is not really a description of their occupation or their past. However, you may know the person or you may identify the person or you may have an understanding of the person because of a past event. And so that's why in the past people were named or they were renamed on the basis of things that they had done previously, things in their past that would help identify them as an individual. 
Well, people are known by their past today. If you were to consider various people who you know in your life, you might recognize what I mean when I say something like a person is often identified by the worst sin that they have ever committed. Not necessarily the greatest thing that they ever did. Some people are, of course, but a lot of people are identified by the worst thing they have ever done, the greatest sin in their life. Sometimes people are recognized in that way, and even though their name does not represent their actions previously, sometimes we recognize an individual as a person. If we want to know who they are, we will describe them as, this is so-and-so who is the person who committed this terrible sin. That's one way that people are identified. Another way that people are identified today is also by the kind of work that they do. We talk about people in terms of what they do now. And so people can be identified by what they have done in the past or what they are doing now, even though their name may not specifically refer to things in the past or things in the present. Still, we will add to their names these events in order to help us to distinguish between people who might very well have the same name. And so can we do that with our God? Well, we can do that to a certain extent. We can look at the things that he has done. We can say the God who parted the Red Sea. We can talk about the God who brought down the walls of Jericho. We can talk about our God in context of the things that he has done. But to talk about him in the context of the God who is doing, well, that can be a little bit more complicated. In this context, Moses is going to go to the people And he wants to go prepared. He wants to have a name that he can give the people that will give them a description of the God who is going to do something for them. Yet this God has not yet done anything for them, and he is not yet really doing anything for them. There would just simply be this initial announcement that he would. But again, how are you going to describe this God? And even if, Even if you can identify him on the basis of what he has done in the past or on the basis of what he is doing in your life right now, is that truly a description of your God? Is that really a way of saying that you know, that you understand, that you can relate to, that you have a relationship with? This specific God, that this is a God who is your God, who is your personal God. How can he be so personal when he's only identified by the actions that he has done in the past or the things that he's doing presently? But even if those actions are being done presently, that does not necessarily mean that those actions are going to continue. For example, he set the people free. He didn't put the people back into slavery, at least not that generation. And so how are they going to identify with him after he sets them free? The only way they're going to truly identify with him is by remembering what he had done in the past. But by doing that, can they truly say that they know their God? Consider yourself for a moment. You probably know that there are people, there are people in your life or there has been people in your life who identified you with the things that you have done in the past. You probably know of people who remember sins that you have committed, who remember mistakes that you have made, and they identify you in that way. They may not always tell you that, but you know and they know and other people know that people will remember others for the failures and in some cases the successes and for the accomplishments that they have made. People are known for these things. 
But do you really want to be known for the things that you have done in the past, whether they are failures or whether they are successes? Is that really how you want to be known? Do you want to be known? Do you want people to relate to you because of what happened long ago? Or do you want them to know you on the basis of what you are doing now? Is that really how you want to be identified? Is it a true representation of who you are? Is what happened in the past a true representation of who you are? If someone was to ask you, if I was to ask you, who are you? Would you want to explain yourself? Would you want to describe yourself on the basis of things that have happened in the past in your life? Would that really be a representation, a good enough or an adequate description of who you are as a person? Would you like to tell me about the occupation that you have today? Or would you like to tell me about the people who are in your life? Am I going to know you because of the other people who are in your life, either your spouse or your children or your parents or your friends? Is that how I might know you? Is that how I would answer the question, who are you, by knowing everybody else around you? Some people relate to people in this way, and unfortunately, it's a very shallow existence because it does not truly describe the depth of an individual. One way that we can truly understand the character of an individual and who a person really is deep down inside is to ask them something different, is to ask them not, what have you done or what are you doing, but to try to find a way to ask them about who they want to be, who they intend to be in the future. What are the kinds of things that they are going to participate with in the future? What are they trying to learn? What are they trying to do in order to contribute to the society that they are a part of? It is the future that really describes a lot about the character of an individual. Now, if you were to ask somebody to explain themselves or to express themselves in the context of their future, this can be very challenging for a person, especially because we know that it's very easy to fail. It's very easy to have a goal, but it's very difficult to actually accomplish it. It is very easy to have a vision or a dream or to have something that you would want to pursue or something that you would want to accomplish or a contribution that you would like to make. But in many ways, there is a big difference between having these aspirations and actually accomplishing any of them. There is a big difference between the two, but this does describe what is important to you. It does describe what you value and what you believe your life should be devoted to. These kinds of descriptions can be a way of describing the character of an individual and how they intend to participate in the lives of other people who they are involved with. And so to talk about an individual in the future tense can have greater meaning. And this is very important to understand because if you don't understand the differences between describing a person on the basis of what has happened in the past, what is happening in the present, and to instead consider describing a person in terms of the future, If you don't understand the implications of these different ways of answering the question, who are you, then it's going to be very difficult to appreciate how God responds to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 verse 14. Because in Exodus chapter 3 verse 14, 
it says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, he didn't say, I was who I was. In this translation, he said, I am who I am. And so if we were to consider, I was who I was, that he is not describing himself in the past tense. But instead, it appears that he is describing himself in the present tense. In the present tense, in the sense of what he is going to do, how he is going to participate, how he is going to intervene, that he is going to do something and he is going to be whoever he is going to be, that that is how he has answered the question of Moses. And there has been an awful lot of interest in this description of our God as he has given us this name. Many songs have incorporated this phrase within them. A lot of people preach and proclaim the true and living God on the basis of him being the great I am. And so there is a significant amount of history in Christianity that has adopted this phrase, has adopted this expression to describe their God. But unfortunately, this is not entirely correct. In the language that this was written in, it does say something a little bit different. In Hebrew, it says, I will be who I will be. The Lord did respond to Moses' question by describing himself in the future tense. And so this is a little bit of an error. And I understand that a lot of people are going to have a hard time with this by me telling you this. But this is the case, that it is written in the future tense. It is not written in the past tense or in the present tense. There are ways of writing that in Hebrew, but that is just simply not how it was written here. And this is a hard thing for people to embrace as I have tried to explain this to a number of people for many years. I've discovered that people are not really excited about this because of the investment that people have made into the songs and into the sermons and into the writings and into everything that people have apparently incorporated into their Christian lives. And so I do hesitate just a little bit, but not enough to keep you from knowing the truth. And that is that our God identified himself. He identified himself by using a name or an expression to say that he can never be really named, that he is someone who will be who he wants to be. That's what he said. He didn't say that he is who he is, and he didn't say that he was who he was. He said that he will be who he will be, which describes a different kind of God, a God who is like no other, without question. Because all the other gods and all other people, apparently as well, are generally described in terms or in an understanding of what they have done or what they are presently doing. Because what they might do is still uncertain. It is still something that has not yet been written. It is something that has not yet been revealed. It describes the potential of change. It describes the potential for deviations or for decisions that might be made in the future that have not yet been made. It describes a person who is living. It describes a person who is actively involved in the lives of other people. And in this case, he is actively involved in the lives of many people who are here on this planet. And all of the people who are here, who have been here, and who will come, these are people who will get to choose what they want to do with their own lives. We are people who have the ability, we have the freedom, we have been created in such a way that we can make decisions 
about what we are going to do or what we are not going to do with our own lives. And this provides for a significant amount of change that will occur in the future, a significant amount of uncertainty in the future, because who knows what people are going to do? Who knows how people may choose to live, and who knows how people will choose not to live? This can be very threatening for many people and many people's theologies as well, because people don't want to believe. People do not want to believe that God would create people like us with the freedom and the ability to make choices about our own lives to decide that we want to sin or to decide that we do not want to sin. It can be very threatening. How can you trust a God? That is truly what it comes down to. How can you trust a God who gives people the ability to make decisions about how they are going to live, especially because they may choose to do something wrong? How can you trust a God to allow for something like that? Well, this is a God who has said that he will be who he will be. He will dynamically change. He will dynamically participate and involve himself in the lives of people, people who are changing, people who are making different decisions all the time. And so who will he be? Who is he? He is the God who will be whoever he wants to be. And I don't mean to say that to say that he's going to change his character. I don't mean to say that to say that he's going to change what is righteous and just. I believe that we can trust that he will always be true to righteousness, to good, to love. I do believe that we can trust him with regards to these things. But how will he participate in our lives? How will he relate to us as an individual? That is open. He will be who he wants to be. He will be who he will be. And that will be the way things are. And there is nothing that you are going to be able to do or say otherwise that will make any difference about who he is going to be in the lives of people. Now, again, I'm not saying that to say that he is going to change in terms of his character or that he is going to change in terms of his justice or his righteousness. I'm talking about how he participates, how he involves himself. This is a God who is a living God. And there is no way that you can describe him by comparing him with other gods because the differences are so profound. You will find a limit and that limit will be to say that he is not like these. But what is he like? Well, you have to completely remove yourself from the initial philosophical discussion because to speak of a God who will be who he will be is completely outside of the boundaries of who a God was or who he is. So that to me is the importance of God's response when he says, I will be who I will be, that there is a translational error here in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14 that I wanted you to be aware of, and that this is a God who is living, who is active in our lives, and that he does have a nature. He does have a character that will never change and we can gradually grow to know him in greater ways as we do relate to him, as we live our lives with him being involved in our lives and with us being involved in the things that he is doing and will do in the future. In our interactions with him, we can personally grow to know him in a personal, individual way. That is who he is to us, and he shows himself to us 
individually in such a way that he is personal to each one of his people. And that is something that will never be taken away because this is what he is doing in this world. He is actively involved in people's lives, showing them who he is. And so when the day comes that you are questioned by someone who asks you, who is your God? You may turn to him in prayer and ask him, who are you? But deep down inside, you will know him as he has revealed himself to you. And while you may not be able to answer that question verbally to the satisfaction of the one who is asking it, between you and him, the question of who are you will be adequately answered, not only in the context of what he has shown you about himself already, but in the context of the anticipation of how he is going to continually reveal to you who he is to you in the future. This is a God who responded to Moses. Moses asked him the question, Who are you? And this God responded. If Moses did not ask the question, would he have responded? We don't know. We don't know if God would have told him everything that he would have wanted to know before he went to Egypt. He might have had to ask God something while he was there in Egypt. We don't know about these things. I want you to see that your God is a God who is a God of the future, but not just in the context of the prophetic. We know there's plenty of evidence to show that he does establish and ordain things to take place in the future. But here is evidence to show that not everything may necessarily be established. Not everything. If he is going to respond, if he is going to participate, then that in and of itself describes a God who has not arranged everything. He gives people the opportunity to participate in the future by making decisions about what they are going to do and what they are not going to do. He has obviously established boundaries concerning that, but by giving us the freedom to do so, he can be a God who will be. He will be, and we can trust him. We can trust him to ordain and establish those things that are of the greatest importance. And when he allows freedom for people to sin or to do evil, or to reject him, then we can trust him that there will be a greater reason, a greater advantage for the cost of giving people the opportunity to make these choices. And I will continue in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,